Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Lovely people, it's another beautiful day in Dallas. And today we are joined by an incredible guest, Don't Bro or Andrew. But to make up for that, we have the wonderful, the legendary Tiago Oliveira. Please do introduce yourself. Yeah, so thank you for, for having me. Uh, yes, my name is uh, Tiago Oliveira. I, uh, I was born in Sao Paulo, Br- Brazil, and uh, parents were missionaries, medical missionaries for nearly 18 years. We lived in Peru, Mexico, Costa Rica, Brazil, and then we uh, migrated to, to, the, to the land of opportunities over here Let's in go. Dallas, Dallas, Texas. Went to uh, DBU, Dallas Baptist University, and uh, you know, got my, uh, became a school teacher, uh, teaching little second graders, and then got my master's, two masters in, in uh, counseling and child psychology, and then finally received my PhD after a lot of work on uh, educational psychology, and I've been working uh, in different schools, elementary, middle school, and high school, and now I'm, I coordinate uh, all the therapists and psychiatrists uh, in uh, mental health services in the district here in Dallas. So, That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. You're so well accomplished. If my friend Andrew had been here, he'd have wanted to know two interesting facts and two uninteresting facts about you. Uninteresting facts? Yeah. <clears throat> so the two interesting facts, so I am a musician. I play with you. Uh, and Neville is a, is a wonderful keyboardist and piano player. Thank and, you so much. Uh, and so we, I play the drums and percussion with him at uh, Highland Park. And uh, church on Sundays. I have uh, a lovely family. Another interesting fact: I have a my wonderful wife Ryan, and then my two children Henry and Isabel. And then you want to know some uninteresting, two interesting facts? Yes. Things that are not interesting. Things that are not interesting about me. <laughs> um, well, uh, you may not hear it from my voice, but I am bald. So I just want to let everybody know that I have not one piece of hair on my on my head, but I'm still a very good-looking man. I agree. And then um, another uninteresting fact about me is that I love movies. Let's go. Do you have a favorite? Uh, favorite Braveheart. Oh, Lord. It's a great movie. Braveheart. The Lion King. The Lion King, yeah. I'll go with The Lion King. Uh, Aladdin. I, mean, I guess I'm naming all these Disney movies Disney because stuff, of my yeah. kids <laughs> right now. Um, the Lion Sleeps Tonight? No, that's The Lion King. That is yeah. The Lion King, yeah. I can show you the, the way. World. Love it. Oh, such a good sound. <laughs> no, that's that's Beauty and the Beast, right? No, that's, that's Aladdin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. Tell, tell us all this time that's Beauty and the Beast. That is, that is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another good movie. Yeah, we're so, man, we're so honored that you really found the time of your very busy schedule to be here today. I understand that you have been an incredible asset uh, to the district 
Dallas Independent School District. And so, I mean, would you tell us more of what you do with that? Yeah, it's an interesting job. Uh, well, I basically uh, help with uh, the threat threats that happen to the district. And so anything as far as threat assessments, uh, when there's a potential threat, either a violent threat to uh, to the district, uh, to a, uh, another student and, or to a staff, uh, I train and conduct and consult uh, with, you know, the principals and leaders of the school to assess, identify, and intervene and support these kids. Wow. Uh, and so it's a, it's a fun job sometimes, uh, and it's a challenging job, but it's a rewarding job. Wow. And I really uh, do enjoy it because uh, the old way of just removing the kid from school and, and suspending kids because of discipline or, or, or misbehavior or disruptive behavior those days are gone um, because research has shown that just removing a kid without supporting the kid, it does no good. The kid wow. ends up returning to school and continuing to do harm or bullying or even shootings, you know. And so my job is to support these kids. And so I provide uh, some therapists to them and, uh, and support them uh, through counseling and uh, different, you know, skills building, anger management, disruptive behavior, so, um, you know, to, to, to reduce disruptive behavior. Uh, so it's, it's a rewarding job, and I feel well, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help uh, these children uh, and the school district keep it safe. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for what you do. Uh, I mean... It's interesting that today we're talking about mental health, right? And a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, the threats and uh, violent erratic behaviors, really, I feel as if that is as a result of what we have been witnessing in our society, especially in the last few years where uh, there's an increased, you know, uh, disturbance in the mental health state uh, in the overall society. And so, I mean, today we'll be talking about that mental health thing, such as depression, like what is it? How do we even define it? What should be classified as, hey, I am depressed and uh, how do we even identify it? So just for the first question to you would be, what is depression? What does it mean when someone is depressed? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there are a lot of misconceptions that, that maybe we'll talk in, about it here in a little bit, but it is very common uh, it's also very serious. Um, uh, it's a serious medical il illness. It affects how you feel. It affects how you think. Uh, it affects how you act. It certainly is treatable, uh, but it does cause an extreme feelings of sadness. You tend to lose interest in like activities that you really enjoy. Uh, it can take over your life. It can take over your work. It can take over your 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 home life. But typically, the official definition is, you know, when you have symptoms such as kind of a loss of, of appetite and weight loss or trouble sleeping or fatigue or thoughts of death or suicide or even difficulty concentrating. But it has to last for two weeks for it to be officially diagnosed. And it affects quite a bit of people, actually. Uh, depression affects about one in uh, roughly 15 adults uh, or you know, less than 7% of, of a population in, in a given year. And it onsets, interesting enough, in the teenage years. So like you know, 17, 18, all the way to mid-20s. Um, it's also interesting that women 
are more likely than men to experience depression. Oh. So about a third, so 33% of women may experience uh, kind of a major depressive episode in, in their life. But again, there's a lot of misconception and, and we have to often uh, define the differences between depression, um, you know, and sadness and grief, right? Mm. Uh, you may lose a loved one, you may lose a job, uh, and that can bring kind of intense feelings of sadness and withdrawal from activities that you love. So, you know, I think it's always helpful to, to differentiate between grief and, and depression. So grief, you may have some painful feelings that come in waves up and down, but you also have these positive memories of, of that person that, that you love or something you lost. In depression, though, it's totally different. You, you, you're going to have some, your interest and your pleasure and your positive feelings decrease for, for nearly two weeks. You have no real positive feelings coming uh, from, from, from you. In grief, your self-esteem is maintained. You still care for yourself. But in depression, you have enormous amount of feelings uh, of worthlessness or self-loathing or they're very common. And then also in grief, you may even fantasize about potentially joining your loved one. You know, some people struggle oh. with that, you know, because they just want to, you know. But in, in depression, you may struggle with suicide ideation, not necessarily because you lost that person, but because you're feeling worthless or you feel like you don't deserve to live, right? But there are a lot of factors about depression, you know. There is, um, and we can talk about this for many podcasts, but... You know, biochemistry, right? There is a certain chemical component to your brain that contributes to the symptoms of depression, right? There's genetics, you know, there is, uh, it runs in the family. Uh, they did a study really interesting about uh, identical twins, right? So one twin that, that has depression, the uh, identical twin uh, has 70% chance of having depression. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's wow. very, you know, it's, it, it, it's also, you know, they found, research has found that, that in depression, there is this genetic component to it. And there's personality. So if you struggle with like low self-esteem or you're overwhelmed with, you know, stress or you tend to be pessimistic, you may have a tendency to be, uh, to have, uh, you know, depressive episodes. And then there's kind of the nurture. So we talk about nature and then we talk about nurture. So there is this kind of environmental factor, which I think it's a huge component right now, right? There's violence. There, uh, there can be kind of parental neglect. There can be parental abuse in your past. Um, poverty tends to increase uh, your chances of being depressed. And so, and then of course, this anxiety that's happening right now in our culture. There's enormous amount of anxiety. And so that could also contribute to how depression right now is increasing uh, in America and it's increasing in the world. Um, and so there, there's quite a bit of treatment as well. I know this is a long answer, but there's, there's um, about, you know, research shows that about 80 to 90% of depression eventually responds really, really well to treatment. Yeah. Uh, but we have to diagnose it, right? Typically you go to a physician or a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and they will interview you. And then sometimes they'll do a physical examination. Sometimes they even take blood, not to diagnose depression, but to also, but to rule out other medical conditions. So for example, a thyroid problem or a <clears throat> vitamin deficiency can be the cause for your feelings of depression. If you fix that, you fix the depression. But um, there's also antidepressants, 
that people take uh, that is prescribed to you to modify the brain's chemistry. Uh, there's obviously therapy. So obviously going to your therapist is incredibly helpful, um, especially for mild depression. And, and therapy can be one of those great, great things. Uh, usually in therapy, we use a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really interesting, which is kind of problem solving things in the present. Uh, and so what we do is we try to recognize the negative thoughts to change the thoughts and behaviors and then to be able to respond to challenges more positively. So, but yes, depression is prevalent right now. You know, you've mentioned poverty, right? You've mentioned uh, things that are not very present in the United States of America because the United States of America currently happens to be the most financially prosperous, you know, nation in the entire world. But now it ranks second to Ukraine, one of the most uh, financially not prosperous nations in the world, right? And it's also, I mean, in Ukraine, you also see things uh, from political unrest and social instability, right? And so for United States of America to rank second to this nation, like, why do we see that? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult question. Yeah. And there's a lot of answers to that. But I think it has something to do with the environmental uh, and how, when I mentioned earlier, it's one of the factors for depression. Uh, but you're right. You know, the, I believe the, the American Psychiatric Association reported that it's about, what, 15 to 17 million American adults um, have, like, one, at least one major um, depressive episode. Uh, so that's about, you know, 3 million teenagers also struggle with it, 12 to 17 years old. Uh, and then I'm not even talking about anxiety disorders. That's, wow. a, that's like 40 million adults suffer from that. Uh, which is roughly, you know, uh, 20% of the population. And then the suicide rate, that's also increased since, uh, what, 1999 to the 2017, about 30, you know, it, it went up about 33% or 30% or so suicide ideations uh, went up. And so, yes, there's like a social environment issue. There's economic pressure. There is uh, trauma um, there's obviously neurobiology and there's uh, like your genes, like I said, but America has had, you know, we're always on the go, right? We, we are willing to kind of plunge deeper into debt just oh. so that we can get our Amazon purchases, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, our happiness tends to kind of rely on, on kind of these external factors like vacations and home restorations and mommy makeovers, wow. right? Um, you know, I remember talking to this one kid. Um, he he was an immigrant, uh, straight from Guatemala. His parents were, you know, came to came to the U.S. for kind of a new life. They were struggling, and they started to do well. Mm. Like they got into construction, they're doing very well, and they were having things that they never had before. And I remember talking to him. He was in high school, and he was like, "What's the point of living?" When, like, in the most affluent nation in the world, and I have all these things that I never had, and I feel sad and anxious all the time, even more so than, than, than what was happening in my country, you know? Like, so we've gained all this power and wealth here in America at, at what price, mm. right? And, you know, is it a disease of, like, mo modernity, you know, so here we have, we have, like you said, unprecedented levels of prosperity. And we have 
life expectancy that is high. We have healthcare breakthroughs. We have peace, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but then we also have this unprecedented numbers of depression and suicide ideation. So what is going on, you know? Um, and, and you know what? The research shows that, you know, who has high rates of depression is the wealthy wow. and the young. Wow. Right? Um, and so there is this theory out there that, that says that whenever you remove these complexities of life, um, you know, these problems, then humans tend to kind of experience this state of anxiety, like, okay, so I don't, I don't have to worry about what I eat. I don't have to worry about these things. I have all these nice things. So you get bored and you are filled with anxiety. And then when you're filled with anxiety, you typically go into fight or flight, right? And so you're either going to fight, you know, and attack it, or you're going to run away and hide, right? And so guess what we're seeing right now? We're seeing an increased rate of disruptive behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're breaking records right now, at least in the schools. Wow. Uh, so pe- what, what are we seeing in the airports? What are we seeing, you know, in the airplanes? What are we seeing? In, so there's this fight mechanism that's increased. And then we're also seeing an increased number of withdrawal and isolation, right? A lot of people are lonely. A lot of, so all of these things can lead to anxiety, which can also lead to, to depression. So, um, but yes, there's there's a lot of things going on in the U.S. Uh, that that make life easier, but it's also perhaps one of the the reasons it it could be a paradox in in a sense that's also causing anxiety and depression and suicide ideations and so forth. Yeah. Do, do do you think the political stuff that we have been seeing lately, which has really created a rift between them and us, you know, we believe this and they believe that and so we don't get along. Do you think that has played into uh, escalating the whole thing? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there is this division. There's yeah. a lot of division, which causes isolation. Mm-hmm. And isolation is the enemy uh, of mental health. And it could, you know, it could increase your your depressive state. What happens when you're isolated? You're high. You're full of shame. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like you're a part of anything. And so you try to deal it with with your own little tools that you have. Hide it. Shove it. And so there is enormous amount of division, which can also create anxiety, right? Um, and and the issue with with the, this political division is that you become biased about the other side and you're always saying they're wrong, I'm right, you know? And so you cannot be objective. It's all subjectivity. And so there's just, there's a lack of understanding, a lack of empathy. And and there is enormous amount of anxiety, not just from the political issues going on, but but COVID brought a lot of anxiety to these children and to adults. And we are seeing the effects and consequences of that uh, in the schools and in in society. Wow. So, like, how do we go about finding the solution to that? Since, okay, since the advent of COVID, now we're seeing spiking rates of suicide, mental health, um, uh, aggressive behaviors, right, that could be traced back to mental health. Like, what's the solution? What do we as a society need to do? What do we need to, like, how do we need to fix the system that's apparently broken. Hmm. 
So you want me to come up with a solution right right here right now? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, there it's a it's a it's a tough problem, and and, and the solution is just as it's just as difficult. Um, but let's just talk about isolation. You know, I'll tell you a personal story. I really struggled uh, when I first came to the U.S. Um, you know, I come from a from a culture uh, that is described as a collectivistic culture. So our identity, you know, in Brazil and in South America where I live is not, it's not around me. It's around the people. It's a, my identity is formed in the group, not in myself. In America, it's an inv individualistic culture and it's all about me, you know, about me pursuing my goals and my dreams. That shift, that culture shift was difficult for me. And I felt I, that I didn't belong, right? Like I had really did struggle with that. I remember, you know, not necessarily feeling depressed, but certainly having anxiety, and I was I was sad. I felt that I, I didn't I didn't have a purpose. Uh, I didn't have my tribe, you know. And I remember when my brother, you know, we, were we grew up Baptist. I told my my dad that I got a tattoo, and my mom, you know, of course they freaked out. And then I try to explain to them why I got why I got it and what did I get and it's it's um, it's koinonia, right? And you know, for your, your Bible experts out there, which I'm not, right? It means like Christian fellowship and communion with God, or even in particular like with fellow Christians. And I was you know originally from uh, fellowship, sharing, and common communion. It's in Acts 2.42. It says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the reason I got it is because I didn't feel like I, I was having that. I didn't have a, a group of people that I belonged, and I, I was yearning for that. And why I was yearning for that is because I feel like in, a, in America, we tend to be isolated, which leads to you know, all this anxiety and, and depression. Like, yes, we are super connected, right, with social media, but but we're yearning for meaning and we're yearning to be connected. And unfortunately, it's it's a surface level connection and not a deep connection. And so I think that's one of, you know, there's a great book by Dr. Putnam. He's a Harvard professor. I got to meet him uh, several years ago and he wrote a book called Bowling Alone, right? And I love that book because it was exactly what I was echoing in, in my soul. Like his his theory is basically that like bowling leagues um, have decreased over time, maybe because bowling is no longer popular. But his point was that people bowl alone now more than ever, right? It was his illustration that in general, we are less connected as a, as a, as a culture than ever before. I mean, think about like, you know, we survived, you know, hundreds and thousands of years by being as a group and solving big problems as a group. And we are, more, you know, now with, with all this technology and all these advances, we are the most isolated ever in probably human history, you know. So I think that leads to anxiety and that leads to depression. And we're seeing that. Uh, because we are not connecting with one another in a deep level, which this is where the church comes in. The church is, is, can fill that gap and, and allow people to feel like they belong, 
and they feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, so I would say that that's, that's one way uh, to be able to, to, to help this, this situation is the social isolation that, it, that we're seeing right now kind of rampant in, in America, in, in America in particular. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's usually when you're isolated from people, you start, you know, thinking stuff that's not actually true, that nobody really cares about me, nobody really wants me, nobody really wants me around them. And that really gets in that place where you're like, well, maybe I don't need, I don't deserve to leave, maybe I need to get rid of myself. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned the church, you've mentioned that that's where the church comes in. I mean, the first question that you talked about uh, was the fact that America is ranked second after Ukraine uh, in terms of, you know, high depression rate, right? So America is also ranked as the highest, you know, and largest Christian population in the world. I mean, the church in Asia is really, really growing, but then America currently is the highest and largest. And so why why do you think that in as much as America really has the highest and largest Christian population, we're still seeing very high numbers in terms of like depression and, uh, and, and anxiety disorders and all that stuff? Yeah, this, you just give me a bunch of hard questions. <laughs> I thought this was going to be easy, easy questions, but no. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I mean, do you, let me ask you a question. Sure. Do, you, do you ever remember your pastor ever addressing mental health and the pulpit? No. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I mean, my dad was my pastor, so I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, I don't think historically, maybe currently more modern, you know, the modern church potentially is, is addressing that now as we speak and, and providing programs for that. And I think there's some big churches around here that are. But I think historically we have not addressed mental health That's true. very well. Um, which, what does that cause? Again, it causes shame, right? Causes this enormous amount of guilt, and then people isolate. And, you know, I think that's part of, of the issue is not addressing it and not allowing people to come up, come out from, from hiding and seeking help and seeking to be connected with other people. So I think that's number one. There's also misconceptions, and I'm not sure if all these misconceptions are, are, are accurate or modern now, but certainly I grew up um, hearing some of these misconceptions about depression, right? And it was, number one, um, you know, that is some sort of character defect or, or is your choice. You just are thinking wrong, right? And, and then the cure was just having more faith, right? Yeah. And, and so then you feel guilty if you don't have enough faith. Like I, you know, so there's, the problem is that there's a lot of strong follower, followers of Jesus, passionate about God, who struggle with this, mm -hmm. you know? There's quite a bit of those. So, uh, you know, it, it, just by having faith, it, it's like, it's almost the same as, as ask, telling a, a diabetic, diabetic would just have some faith in healing. Yes, I believe in faith. I do believe in healing. I think those are important and, and they're real, but you still have to seek help mm -hmm. and even some medical and psychiatric treatments. Yes. You still got to take your insulin, right? Yes. Um, the other one is, you know, that it is a sin. That depression is a sin. Um, and 
obviously that that when depression is treated as you know as an unconfessed or unaddressed sin in isolation, you, you can see how that that is that is problematic for for people, and and the and the and the shame and guilt that happens with that. Uh, also, we always assume that happy people are not depressed people. That's true, and so you'll find that there is a stigma attached to it, to depression. And so, again, you know, it, it, it's not good for depressed people to be hiding these symptoms, but they feel like they need to because they're portrayed as happy people, right? Wow. Um, so I think, I think that's part of the issue why, you know, and then the other thing is that, you know, yes, we are a Christian nation, but are we, right? Uh <laughs> That's true. I mean, I think sometimes I would say a good a good percentage of 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 Christians that go to church go for social reasons, and they may not really be Christians per mm-hmm. se, yep. you know. And so there there is that as well. So, but then again, also we live in this machine. So we yes, we are a Christian nation, but we live in this consumerism machine that creates mm. anxiety, mm. and we have to break that machine all the time. We we'll call oh. it the world and the in the influence of the world, and so. We have to try to fight against this, this machine that tells us that we need to buy and need to be prettier and we need to be this so that we can be happy. And, and we have to constantly be reminded of what is true versus what is a lie that is constantly being told to us by, you know, the world. Uh, and in the world, I mean America. <laughs> and so I think, I think that, that that contributes to the pandemic of depression that's happening. Wow, the pandemic of depression, that's awesome. Like we have two simultaneous pandemics uh, going on at the same time and people tend to pay more attention to COVID, which is okay. But depression, you know, a lot of, we're losing a lot of people to suicides. You know, we're, lo- we're losing a lot of kids to this, you know, school shootings in, in this school shootings and stuff. So like, uh, what would you say is the role of the church in like, you know, we are, we live in a world where churches usually don't talk about that. What do we, the church, you know, the people who are the church uh, need to do to address this problem? So let me talk about um, an antidepressant that is not what you think it is. Okay. okay? So Victor Frank was an Austrian neurologist. He is a psychiatrist and uh, Holocaust survivor. He passed away, I think, in, in 97. A brilliant, brilliant man. He, he, he wrote a famous book. Uh, called Man's Search for uh, for Meaning, I believe. And so he tells this story about how he survived the Holocaust. And, but, you know, basically he was you know, finding personal meaning in, in spite of all these horrific experiences that he was having, right? And so having this, this personal meaning gave him the will to survive, right? Mm-hmm. To live all, through, to, all throughout the Holocaust, and he survived. Mm-hmm. So he then... He points to research that, that indicates that you know strong relationship between meaninglessness mm-hmm. and and eventually criminal behavior and addictions and depression. So he what he did is he correlated when you when you have a high high level of meaningless or lack of purpose, then you tend to do you know struggle with addictions or you struggle with depression or anxiety or criminal behaviors, right? And so basically, it was he was like without meaning, right? Uh, people, you know, tend to fill that void of meaning with other pleasures and power and materialism and hatred and like boredom, 
and addictions, you know, addictions or neurotic obsessions or compulsions or whatever, right? And so, as humans, we have this internal drive, purpose, you know, pu purpose-driven life. Talk, you know, mate, you know, wrote Record, a book about yeah. this, right? That we we strive for meaning. It's this. It's in. It's in us, you know. And so we. The problem is we look for it in bad places or other places like Amazon, <laughs> you know, and nothing against Amazon. Still. We're sponsored by Amazon. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like we, this is, in, I heard this quote the other day, we shop not to get what we want, wow. but to discover what we want, wow. right? Like mm -hmm. we are looking for meaning. We're looking, um, we, we don't know what we want because we're looking for fulfillment, for satisfaction, right? And so we tend to place our faith uh, in other things outside of the gospel, mm. uh, or at least the gospel of consumer choice, mm. right? Or technological advances or progress, or the latest iPhone and I Apple Watch, which I'm where I'm also sponsored by Apple. And so that creates anxiety, mm -hmm. You know, because those are those do not bring life, and so I think that to your, to your question, as far as the church is concerned, we are the voice of purpose mm -hmm. to humans. We bring true purpose to to others, and when they find that true purpose, at least on the environmental side, I'm not saying it's going to heal all depression because there is a chemical side of it for some people. Uh, at least the environmental side, we can heal that with purpose alone. Like wow. we can give you purpose. Well, Jesus can give you purpose. Uh, and you can also be part of a tribe. Again, a need, a necessity for humans to feel like they belong. Yeah. And so I think that that's, those are two things that the church is, and actually research shows, I'm not just, you know, data shows that religious people or people that go to, you know, church once a week, um, they did the study with teenagers, mm -hmm. uh, and it helped severe depression twenty wow. percent. Wow! You know, so mm -hmm. talk about an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it in in the social aspect of it. That is one way. Community. Wow. Community koinonia is wow. an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. You know, feeling like you belong is an antidepressant. Wow. Um, and and really, like here's a, here's an interesting thought about depression. Depression is not. It's, it doesn't mean you're. Like you have a bug in your programming or, or there's something broken in you necessarily. I would say I'll, the better way to look at depression is a signal, right? It's a signal telling you there's a need that is unmet, right? And, and so it's warning you, you know, you're isolated, you have no meaning, you feel like you don't belong, um, and, and is asking you to meet that need, you know? That's awesome. Um, I had my very good friend uh, way, way back in, in 2016, I think, a believer, an excellent musician. He came to me and he was like, hey, Neville, I am depressed right now. And I'm like, dude, you're one of the strongest people I know. You can't be depressed. You blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like over time, I've been assessing that, you know, how I served him at that time. And it's like, that's the wrong approach. You know, so like you have people who want to be helpful to people who might be going through depression or anything. Right. But we do not know how to. Right. So my question to you is, hey, someone 
my friend is depressed, right? And they let me in. Like, how do I solve them? What do I say? What do I do? How do I help them out of that? Yeah, obviously, I think empathy goes a long, long way. You know, empathy is um, to, to be in the pain, in pathos, right? So, uh, and to walk with them, to bear their burden, not to judge their burden. Um, and so I think listening, uh, speaking less and listening more, um, you know, active listening is really what we call it. But I think, I think it's less about what you advise and more about being present. It's called, it's called the ministry of presence, right? Wow. It's wow. just being awesome. present hmm. can go, it's very healing. Uh, and so I think, I think that's, I'm not so much concerned about saying the right things as, as being, like I said, being, being right there for, for your friend, uh, or for a loved one. And, and, and there, there, there will be a time where you're calling them out of this, right? In the sense, speaking life into them and, uh, providing, um, another avenue to to express himself and to find meaning you know there's this story that i read about i think was in uh, in in asia where you know they these these people came with you know they had never seen antidepressants before in their life like i'm talking about the medication and so the doctors there at this country were like oh we have antidepressants well, and they're like oh it's some sort of horrible drug or something. It's not the real thing that you have, that we were about to give you. They're like, no, no, we, it's not a herbal drug, you know? And so what happened was this one guy, I believe, uh, was walking through some mines and blew up his leg. And so they basically fixed him up and threw him back into the field to work. And he was crying every day and having panic attacks and, and highly depressed. And so then they, com the community came together and said, uh, Let's, uh, let's fix this problem. Let's give him an antidepressant. So they all got together and bought him a cow, a cow, so that he could be the milk guy, right? And that was his antidepressant. He found new meaning, right? And it was a, his tribe did that for him, right? And so sometimes that, that could be uh, the, the act is, is helping people find new meaning and, and find their, their people, it could be it's it, so again it's less about words and, and more about being present or or doing action things that's awesome thanks for sharing you're definitely a mental health professional and you've been in the game for a while do you experience anything related to anxiety and depression and stuff like personally yes oh heck you're giving me anxiety right now <laughs> <laughs> coming to do a podcast is it's, like a, it's an anxious thing i'm wow um uh, no, yes, of course. I think I think we have to be very aware because we are bearing the burdens of others. You know, people confide in us deep, dark secrets, and we have to swallow that uh, and 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 assist them and help them and guide them. We're really guides through. We're bridges over troubled water, right? And so we we help them and walk alongside with them in, in these you know shadows sometimes. And yeah, if you if you're not also 
uh, seeking a way, a healthy way to out, you know, then even seeing it. Uh, sometimes I see counselors just so I can vomit back to them what I just, you know, some of the deep ones that, that I've struggled with, uh, with clients or, or students. Uh, yeah, we, we can, we can struggle with the same, you know, darkness. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I'll stay in the car when I'm heading home just a little longer to decompress and just to pray. Um, and, and so that I can go home and be whole, you know, to my family. Tell your wife some of that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, (laughs) she does have to bear some of my burdens. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes she's like, I'd rather not, I don't do not tell me that, but I don't want to, I don't want that. Just kind of maybe call a friend. Yeah. That's awesome. And you've also mentioned um, truth, right? <clears throat> you mentioned truth. You mentioned that you, you're a Baptist. You've mentioned Christ and Jesus. Like, what does he mean to you? And, like, have you really, in walking with him, which I know that you are, have you experienced any, like, betterment in your journey of dealing with people and navigating depression and mental health and that kind of stuff? Yes, of course. Um, I think... You know, sometimes I don't know what to say when I'm in front of, you know, a kid who's telling me horrific things that that are going on in his life or her life. Um, I know words are powerful, you know. And so sometimes I'm sitting across the table listening to this, and in my head I'm going, I have no idea how to help this kid, right? And so I'm praying and trying to listen at the same time. But I'm like, God, I pray for peace that passes understanding uh, to, to guard this kid's heart and mind. I pray for the joy of the Lord, you know, and, you know, and, and then God give me wisdom, uh, give me patience, you know. So I think that, you know, there, there are times that, that I, before the, even the day starts, that I feel like I don't know if I can be anything to anybody without God's help, you know? Uh, and so I just pray for humility and I pray against pride, you know, and I pray that God would use my words or even my ears mainly to, to help, um, these trouble, you know, kids, uh, or situations, uh, recently. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I can do, I can do my job without, without the spirit and without the, the presence of, of God in my life uh, and the word, you know, in his wisdom, wow. you know. That's awesome and so humble of you. Uh, you've definitely encouraged people to like talk to someone, talk to therapists and uh, you mentioned something, mild depression and severe depression. Like my first question would be, what's the difference between the two? And then the second question would be, I mean, in today's world, we see, there being Christian psychologists, right, or Christianity-centered psychology, and also that which is not technically Christian, such as Alcoholicus Anonymous, right? So, like, in your experience, do you know which one can serve one better, or do you, like, do you, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, mild, moderate, and severe depression. Um, a, a physician or a... Um, a trained, trained counselor, psychologist, or psychiatrist 
could could diagnose that. A trained psychologist, right? So not yeah. your friends or anything. Definitely not your friends. <laughs> they they don't unless you you know try to Google it, and that's not a good idea either. But um, it just depends on the how deep your ideations go and the severity of. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, typically you have symptoms like fatigue and trouble sleeping, um, you know, thoughts of suicide and death and difficult to concentrate. And sometimes, you know, for it to be severe even or, or even moderate, people are having these thoughts every day. Uh, and then they're having it every day for at least two weeks. So it's, that's pretty moderate. I mean, that's, that's depression, you know. And, uh, and then typically also um, a physician or a psychologist may want to measure your previous level of functioning. So let's say you can measure your appetite or your, your sleeping patterns or your fatigue or difficulty, difficulty concentrating. And then the next time you come back, you know, it, it, did it increase? You know, and so that's how you start to measure the severity of, of depression, you know. But yes, I think there are many, many flavors out there um, of counselors and therapists out there. You know, there's... You can you can go right now online. Even you can even choose, you know, different qualifiers for wow. for for a therapist. And just um, find one. You know, you're a female. You prefer a male. You prefer a Christian. Um, you prefer, you know, um, somebody that's you know more diverse. That has you know, Hispanic Spanish Spanish speaking. I mean, there's all sorts of, um, you know, because there's there's such thing as multicultural counseling. Like you know, it depends on on who. And what type of culture you grew up to as well. You know, if you come from a collectivistic culture like myself, you may want someone there that understands those values, you know, uh, as opposed to an individualistic culture. So um, I think it just depends on, on what, what you are needing. Uh, but definitely um, you know, someone that affirms your values, Christian values, then I would, I would want a Christian counselor. And there are very many, there's many good ones out there that are very experienced and, and can walk with you. Well, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And thank you really for just sharing uh, so boldly and for what you do to students, or for what you do with students in DISD. Uh, I mean, this has been an incredible conversation. Any parting shot to our listeners? My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Adios, muchachos, beautiful people. Remember to leave a like, follow, share, and uh, send in your questions if you have any. Uh, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you for listening to this and keeping us going. Until next time, beautiful people. Adios, muchachos. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.